Am I in trouble, officer? As far as I'm concerned, yes, ma'am, you're in a lot of trouble. Hello, this is 9-8. You want to step back and get in your car again, please? Officer, I am so sorry about this. Would you let go of that? Now, I really, really apologize, but would you put your hands on the steering wheel? See, if you get on that radio, you're going to find out that we're wanted in two states and probably considered armed and dangerous. At least I am. And, and then our whole plan is just going to be all shot to hell. Luis, take his gun. Take his gun, Luis. Right there. Hi. I'm real sorry. Excuse me. Want to step out of the car, please? Now, I swear, three days ago, neither one of us would have ever pulled a stunt like this, but... If you was able to meet my husband, you'd understand why. Won't put your hands on your head, please. Louise. What? Shoot the radio. The police radio, Louise. Jesus I'm Christ. Sorry. Got it. Okay. Right. Wanna to step to the back of the car, please? Louise, get the keys. Air holes. Open the trunk. Oh. Want to step into the trunk, please? Please. I have one of the kids, please. You do? Well, you're lucky. You be sweet to them, especially your wife. My husband wasn't sweet to me. Look how I turned out. Now go on. Get in there. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Wait a second. Excuse me. Oh, wait a minute, officer. Could I have your belt, please? Extra ammo. Oh, good idea. trilogy in theory my name is webb and this is my co-host mike and we are talking a new trilogy and starting with a film that i was not a big fan of after my first viewing and i haven't revisited it in well over a decade welcome lady listeners (laughs) (laughs) oh no (laughs) here we are talking the 1991 Ridley Scott joint, Thelma and Louise. I I think I've gone on record as saying I wasn't a huge Gina Davis fan, and then the accidental tourist kind of had me all turned around, you know, with her performance in that film. And I already loved her in The Fly. Uh, And I I remember when I first watched Thelma and Louise, yeah, I wasn't a huge fan. I didn't quite uh, get it. And maybe I was too young and not as experienced in in my uh, film palette at the time. After this viewing, though, I I kind of I'm, I'm I'm coming around to this thing. I don't think it's the classic that uh, it's hail. I mean, it, you know, it it was uh, selected 
uh, by the U.S. Library of Congress in 2016 for preservation. And, and I get it. It's very uh, iconic, but I don't think it's quite there. But boy, I had a great time watching it this time around. How has your experience been with Thelma and Luis? Um, somewhat similar to yours. I think that maybe speaking to our um, ages, even though there's a slight difference between the two of us, uh, both of us would have been uh, children. We would not have been the demo for Thelma and Louise. Right. Um, I remember it more as a kid for like the, I guess, scuttlebutt around it. I remember people talking about it on television as a sort of controversial thing. Um, and I don't think that helps it if you're coming like much later to it like we just did a uh, Patreon episode for our, our movie book club on Deliverance and that one also has a reputation in particular for one uh you know little plot twist one sequence of of violence <clears throat> and we talked about how that probably holds up because it's just sort of untouched this is untouched in a different way in that to me it doesn't seem as controversial as what i thought of it as a child unseen as that 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 movie that it's like oh you know two women like shooting and maiming across the country like i think i thought as a kid <clears throat> that it was natural born killers before i even knew natural born killers existed that's that's how they sort of framed it for me uh that doesn't help now because it seems somewhat modest in its aims but i guess that's the depressing aspect of it is that if these were just two men you would wonder what the hubbub was about, but even in 2023, there's not been a lot of Thelma and Louise like movies going forward. And that's the sad bit about it. That's the reason I think it sticks out as a classic is um, this didn't create a whole new genre of sort of women action movies. And not only that women action movies about being a woman, it's not just a female lead in an action movie. The big controversy, kind of, I think some people were like, oh my, it, it's two women, and it's an it's a film that's anti-man. What do you think about that? And it, it was something that was uh, proposed to Gina Davis at the time, and the way that she described it is like, well, look at the male characters, and you've got a, a gamut of, you know, you've got a, a spectrum of like, okay, well, the, the Harvey Keitel, he's, he's kind of almost father figure type for these girls. Mm. He wants them to survive where you, as um, you've got the monstrous Harlan with the sexual assault on the other end of the spectrum. And so it's not as simple as anti-man there. You've got a uh, different shades. Of, I think of we're going to go with the uh, Stephen Tobolowsky as Harvey Keitel is the sexy father figure and then the awful Stephen Tobolowsky, the pencil <laughs> pusher that doesn't care. Um, Leonard Shelby. He'll always be Leonard <laughs> Shelby to me. You know, it's it's funny, like, you know, the and that definitely was like how it was, you know, they probably leaned into the the marketing and that way. And that that's totally fine. This is, you know, one for the ladies. Uh you know, you mentioned the Harlan character. Uh they're male hating in that they they don't seem to be too fond of attempted rapists. <laughs> that, that's that seems to be a low bar for for men to clear. <laughs> if you're not doing that, we can put up with the Christopher McDonald's. I mean, good lord, Gina Davis. I think she even says they've been together since she was a teenager, right? Like, I mean, so you yeah. got a you know a decade maybe of time that they've had some sort of rom you know I say romantic. I mean, it's not a very romantic relationship, but that's the uh, dynamic that's supposed to be happening. And he's uh, a total moron, uh, an abusive moron, uh, not physically. I, I think it's just the <laughs> – to me it was just abusive 
imagining a world, and thank God we don't see it, where Christopher McDonald is having sex with Gina Davis. That was <laughs> that was horrifying to me. You mentioned the fly. I'm like nothing. I would I would fuck Jeff Goldblum as the fly over <laughs> Christopher <laughs> McDonald here <laughs> as a car salesman, Daryl. Um, but it's not. It's not that man hating. Like I'd even forgotten that. Uh, Susan Sarandon's uh, lover, her boyfriend, is played by Michael Madsen. So it seems like there's a dynamic where she's got um, a younger man. I don't know if that's accurate. I just I, I think of Michael Madsen as from a slightly younger generation than Susan Sarandon. Um, and the most it seems that he's just sort of a shit is that he lacks a certain degree of commitment. He's just sort of a little bit, you know, he's an artist, a musician. He's just sort of like absent. But when it comes to like stand up for her as far as making sure that she uh, gets the money order uh, and then showing up to check on her, like, yeah, they have an argument, but I don't know. It's not like every man here is, is a Nazi or, or something. So that goes back to maybe the fragility of uh, primarily male audiences. When this came out, that this just totally blew their hair back. Uh, and I did attempt to read a book. I tried to, to pull a web uh, it's a book called Off the Edge, and it's primarily focused on the screenwriter and uh, sort of her inspirations. And I have to admit, I didn't, I didn't make it through it because uh, it's very padded. <laughs> it feels like those, <laughs> like magazine articles, like you would see, where it's like you know, uh, thirty years since Thelma and Louise, and you read it in like ten minutes. Um, yeah, there's not. I've even made it to Ridley Scott, which I, I wonder if our lady listeners. Uh, we're sharpening the knives for you when you sort of introduced that as <laughs> the auteur Ridley Scott brought us <laughs> two women on a, on the run. <laughs> it, came, it was inspired from his life over in England as a commercial director. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of uh, Callie Corey, the screenwriter for this, she was actually posed the same question that Gina Davis was about, uh, is this film anti-man? And her reaction was kind of the opposite of Gina Davis's, where it was like, who gives a shit? So what if it is? Mm -hmm. You know, how many how many films out there are completely anti-woman without being expressly anti-woman, you know, uh, without actively saying that? So many of them. And so, yeah. I will say, in the book, there's one sequence where she talks about this. This basically comes out of the 80s. It's like, as much as it's... Uh, um, inspired by like friendship she had with other women that she didn't feel was represented on on film, uh, it seems like it was inspired by all the uh, qualities that were lacking in even popular cinema of the eighties, which was Arnold and Sloan and you know beefed up men uh, who, if they if they were talking to a woman, it's either their kidnapped daughter or like you know a femme fatale that they had to dispose of. And there was one sequence in particular, and she you know I guess she calls out the some might say the lesser Scott. Uh, I know Quentin Tarantino wasn't. Tony Scott's uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2, where she was in a theater. And uh, is it Bridget Nielsen? Nelson? I can't remember her name. The tall blonde from the 80s. I believe I, I didn't remember this, but I guess she's one of the villains in Beverly Hills Cop 2. I'm not up on my <laughs> mythology for, for that franchise. But apparently, spoiler alert for that film, uh, she gets shot in her body which i do remember is like over six feet tall she's a very like tall imposing woman um like it's thrown across a room and like the sound effects like the thud of her body <laughs> and she just remembers that the audience primarily of men like cheering 
And the, like the the punchline was like I guess the cop that shot her was like he like shrugged his shoulders and he was like women, <laughs> and Eddie Murphy uh. just started laughing. <laughs> 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 and it's funny what will inspire uh you know great art is that <laughs> sitting in that theater just being like fuck these dudes <laughs> will give us something like <laughs> yeah. and Louise. And let's talk about that early uh, major event, the sexual assault. Uh, it starts off with the worst pickup line. You know, the uh, the Harlan's talking about the funny uncle. And he goes, is he a funny uncle? Because <laughs> if he is, then he and I got something in common. As if, like, he's trying to get in her panties with comedy. I, you know, maybe I'm just seeing him as uh, uber creep already. I'm like, are you calling her uncle a pervert? And you're saying you also are a pervert? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Where is this right. going? <laughs> <laughs> and and you know the waitress kind of tries and diffuses the situation She's like ah hoping that this doesn't go anywhere but this is a brutal sexual assault scene it, it really is uh and there's nothing explicit shown there's no pen- penetration doesn't even happen uh from a fictional standpoint he doesn't even get there but there are uh, close-up shots of him, you know, pulling the dress up, uh, uh, starting to pull the panties down, and it really is a lot. One of my, well, my thesis for my grad school program, I I did a study on uh, testing this DNA kit that would help confirm seminal DNA. Uh, and make that process a little easier than what it is right now. The only way to confirm there's seminal fluid in a DNA mixture, which would be, you know, like a sexual assault swab, is to look at it under a microscope and check for actual sperm cells. And so what I had to do is create mock sexual assault samples using male and female DNA, and then run this DNA test. And so throughout my process, as I was doing research for my paper, one of the stats that really stuck out to me is that 80% of sexual assaults go completely unreported to the authorities. And that was mind-bending to me. Think of the lives that are just kind of unaccounted for, and and so many people either suffering in silence or, or... even, you know, to the extreme, ending their lives. And so this kind of a scene really is tough. And there's a small shot. And God, I don't know how an actor has to go to that that headspace, you know, to do this. But there's a shot where he spreads her legs by kicking one of her legs like apart. It's It really is quite shocking. And so when he gets shot, uh, by Luis, it's it's extremely gratifying, and you don't even really know the the trauma that Luis is go, you know has has faced in in Texas. So uh, it's a hell of a way to start this uh, what it, what's a road trip movie? Really, really brutal stuff. Uh, how did you react to the intensity of this first act? Uh, I mean, it's you know it on its on its face it's uh you know death wish for the ladies um it's one of those times where susan strandon you know gives a speech uh she's threatened this man with with a gun um and she saved her friend from you know actually i guess uh as you said there's no penetration uh even though he he does uh physically uh, assault her he's, he has already started to like beat her and and pin her down um while saying that he's not going to hurt her. He's like, I'm not going to hurt yes. you. And he slaps her. My yeah. God. 
um, going back to you know that that's just his his funny uncle ways. You know that's just <laughs> just his humor. Um, I'm sure that if I saw this in in theaters uh, at, at the at the time that um, there probably would that would have been the cheer moment. Uh, depending on the demographic of the crowd, I don't, I don't know if this would be a great you know, date night movie necessarily, but it, it, it could be in the sense that it, you know, totally th- there's that moment, which, you know, it gets real, but the road trip aspect of it, it, it is fun. Now I will say that Thelma and Louise are, are not the greatest criminals by any stretch. Um, you know, you let a young shirtless Brad Pitt with a cowboy hat in your room and you leave a bag full of money, you know, he's, you can tell he's a he's a little scamp. He's a sexy little scamp, but that that's coming a mile away. You mentioned something that, and it's it's weird to like because even as adult, I came away respecting it more than enjoying it. And I think it is because of those tonal shifts. Like, I love that Susan Sarandon shoots the guy. Like she gives him a chance, and he keeps running his mouth, and goes back to the derogatory language, and then she does the thing that you. You know, unfortunately, if you're playing like Grand Theft Auto, I guess you would act that way, like where there's no consequences. Like, I'll just shoot whoever's in my way and go about my business, like or a Western, if you want to go back to movies. But it immediately gets real again. And then there are moments where it goes into fantasy, where it's like the two characters kind of accept the fantasy that they're on the on the lam. Um, I appreciate the fantasy aspect of it as far as the, the women. And I, I actually think Gina Davis is probably better here for those tonal shifts. Susan Sarandon, you mentioned the backstory of her character in Texas. Um, it is depressing that you mentioned that of all the unreported cases, like how many could end in suicide or just, you know, their, their lives are permanently altered uh, into a direction where there's something that's been taken from them. Living the fantasy of, flying off in the Grand Canyon and ending on the freeze frame where we don't actually see their death. And the, the screenwriter in the book said that that's, that was always the intention is you, you basically want them to like fly out of this realm. Like they just, they just fly off into like this sort of cinema world where that's, that's the ending is that you freeze on that. Um, but Susan Sarandon is playing, she's playing the real part of the film and it's, it's, it's beautifully done as far as the personalities of the two characters, but if you if the film was primarily just from her point of view, it would probably be pretty depressing because the moment she pulls that trigger, she in essence has like committed suicide for them or, or going to prison. Their lives are over. Like she gets that one moment to put a man in his place, but then she's going to spend the rest of the film, as you said, placating a Harvey Keitel that kind of wants to understand them, but his job is to put them behind bars. Like once he figures out all the pieces, that's that's the only way it's going. Um, and then every man they encounter, including scampy little Brad Pitt is basically stopping them from getting to Mexico is, is doing something so that these women cannot be free. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I, I sort of go back and forth between enjoying the sort of thrill of it and then just being incredibly depressed by the situation that these women <clears throat> keep being forced into by the men in their lives or, or men that they meet along the way. I mean, she she seems doomed from the start. The fact yeah. that they can't go through Texas into Mexico, she's like, we can't go through Texas. If they do that, they're already in Mexico by Act Two, you know, and they're home free. And so, it, it goes to show, like, the effect of the sexual assault on this character before the film has even started. And another thing about that ending is uh, before 
filming had kind of began, uh, Susan Sarandon was speaking with Ridley Scott about that ending. Like, and she said, it's like, we're going to keep this ending, right? It's not going to be, uh, you know, tested with audiences. They're not going to like it. Like, can we, can you tell me that that's going to be the ending? He told her, I can confirm that you're going to die. Not so sure about the other one. We're not sure yet. And she was like, oh, <laughs> because uh, there was talk of uh, her being pushed, uh, Gina Davis being pushed out of the car before that happened. And I'm glad they didn't go that route. I think it would have been uh, a bit of a cop out because if, again, if it were two guys, that's how the movie ends. You know, <laughs> there was one, one note. Uh, yeah, there was seemingly no problem with like Butch and Sundance. I mean, doing a similar thing. And that was, um, I don't know, like a, a brave choice here. I, I, it, it, yet again, it, it seems like, uh, all right, we'll make this movie with with two women shooting up men and, and uh, almost getting away. Uh, as long as we can have another man either shoot them <laughs> or put them in prison, we can't have it be their choice on on how their their story uh, ends. Um, and there was one note that was funny from the book where, uh, and they didn't name which studio. Uh, said, can it just, instead of the Grand Canyon, how about it's just like a really big ditch and they just get to the other side and the cops can't, <laughs> can't you know, shake their fists. You know, Harvey Keitel is just, does like a triple take. How did they do it? You know, just. <laughs> it devolves into a Dukes of Hazard episode. <laughs> I like the idea of Susan Sarandon telling Ridley Scott, you pussy, make the ending the way it was supposed to be. You know, it's <laughs> Just using using uh, sexist slurs against him. Speaking of which, there is a lot of you know toxic masculinity rampant throughout this film, uh, and and I like where we. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. I think where we are now as a society is much more sex positive than where we were before. I think it's easy to say, oh, we should be further along, and we should be, but you know we should celebrate the small victories as well i found it kind of shocking almost that even even in that moment uh right after uh the the sexual assault right after the murder you have louise telling uh thelma uh the, the exact quote here is if you weren't so concerned with having a good time we wouldn't be here right now it's funny that like the actions that you know uh gina davis's character takes leading up to it it's it's just what any normal person would do having a good time but because it's a woman uh she's not allowed to dress a certain way act a certain way uh because ultimately the society will be like well you know you were asking for it that whole concept so watching that and even even Luis's initial knee-jerk reaction is just like to blame Thelma and then Thelma right away is like so this is my fault and she double backs no 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 and I love that kind of honesty. And so there's a lot of small moments in this film that really put it ahead of your average, like, road trip film, essentially. And which never devolves into, like, you mentioned Death Wish. I don't think this film ever goes into exploitation. And that's where those, the the juggling of the tones, it's it's right on. Like, I think Ridley Scott does a great job making sure this doesn't become schlock. And that's incredibly important. And that's why it might be a decent date film by the end. Yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking of, uh, I think, you know, I've talked about off mic, uh, bodies, bodies, bodies. Um, cause I was trying to think of like, okay, so what's a modern one where, 
Uh, and it, now, granted, the, the the age difference between the characters, not just the the release of the films, uh, are very different. Like the <laughs> Thelma and Louise have life experience that the characters and bodies, 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 do not. Um, but that film is kind of like that sequence for ninety minutes of them blaming each other and this uh, as this you know slasher movie of sorts where people are getting picked off. And I couldn't stand that one. Uh, and I also wonder, like, if they did a modern Thelma and Louise, would they have that sequence where one of the, you know, the females here kind of plays that card? Uh, and it's it's in a moment of uh, great stress. It's it's a very heightened experience where they're immediately trying to deal with, okay, our life our life is this now. Um, but the funny thing is, I don't think Gina Davis does she blame Susan Sarandon? for shooting him. I'm trying to remember like really like, I think her point of view is like, well, you saved me. We'll go to the cops and you know, you saved me from this attack. And that's what sort of is happening in that sequence. But really, if anyone I guess could assign blame, it might be her for being like, all right, I was already out of that situation. It was horrifying. I appreciate it. But you shot him because he sassed you with explicit language like you wanted to do that then you didn't just shoot him immediately when he was on top of me and it's i love that aspect about the film it wasn't that she shot him while gene davis was being attacked and then they're both like well we could tell the cops this but they might not believe us she did it because she wanted to she wanted to yes. kill him. i love that and actually the exact opposite happens Susan Sarandon is the one that says, no, we can't use that excuse because he had already, you know, we already stopped the sexual assault in that moment. So I like that she is even aware. She's not like in denial or anything. She's not trying to cover up. She knows what she did because, again, it's it's all coming back. The PTSD of her own experience is coming back to haunt her. And this was... I hate to say, unfortunately, like the only way, I guess, maybe for her to get past what happened to her, it's possible. Uh, but, you know, it's it's still affecting her throughout the film. Or maybe it's just enough. You know, it's just that one, you know, one more thing. Um, and I agree later on in the film, it's, I mean, very late. I think it's as the cops are closing in and, you know, Jeannie Davis says that she doesn't regret anything. That this, the, the sort of. A week or so that they're on the run, it's like, you know, it's been more life than what she had had previously, and it was worth it in some way. And I guess that that was the one question I had coming into you. Does the film convince you of that? It kind of has to, to get to that moment where they drive off the edge of Grand Canyon. You have to, I think, believe that this is the best thing for this these characters, that this that this happened, that they wouldn't have had much of a life like they experienced that week. I don't know if it succeeds. I, I think there's a lot of craftsmanship here where I think it almost does. As long as you don't think about it too much, uh, if you don't over sort of, well, not maybe not overanalyze or just analyze enough, be like, God, that's incredibly depressing that these women were so boxed into this. If you can focus on the road experience and yeah, you stole your money, but you got to fuck Brad Pitt, maybe Brad Pitt, not quite prime, but Right on the cusp of Brad Pitt. <laughs> I think the film does a mostly good job of not getting on too much of a soapbox. I think I think the one scene where it does is the truck driver that they constantly run into where they blow up his uh, 
his truck and and i think at that's the point where you're like okay this, this feels a little gratuitous it, it, it's the uh henry cavill destroying the guy's truck in man of steel i was like all right this is unnecessary i mean that's 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 why you got ridley scott here right he's able to get you the budget to do that <laughs> sequence otherwise some other shenanigans ensue with that trucker but they don't blow up <laughs> the <entire laughs> right truck. and so because it never really teeters too deep into that territory, I think the characters have enough they have enough integrity to say, no, we're gonna go out on our own terms. So we're not gonna get stuck in kind of the legal mumbo jumbo because that you know, unlike a CSI episode, a, a crime scene or any kind of case from start to finish takes years. And yeah, they they don't want to be living those kind of lives because ultimately both of them came from a prison, a societal prison of of their own making almost. And so they've been free for this road trip for the most part. And so, yeah, they don't want to, I, I think, I think it does just enough for me to be like, yep, this, this makes, this is the only ending that could possibly uh, make any sense. And, and I got to shout out one other scene. One of my favorite scenes uh, is set up very early on. And you've got Thelma talking to Louise, like, no, I didn't get permission. Who gives a shit? I just left a note on the microwave. And then, you know, they laugh about it. And it's kind of like an insult to Shooter McGavin. And then later on, he'll always be Shooter McGavin to me, by the way. I'm sorry. Like, that's <laughs> no matter what. No, I don't think you're wrong there. I mean, that's I think that's the persona <laughs> that he's, he's – and I think he's cool with it. He's great at it too. Yeah. I love the shot of after, – after they kind of get into the mess, she calls back at the house and, and – it's it could have been as simple as she calls back nobody picks up and you move on with the scene but ridley and and the script they take the time to cut to show the empty house and to show that microwave with the note untouched with that a uh, frozen meal just sitting there because shooter is still out and about gallivanting on a friday night you know it, it's such a, a deflating moment for not only for the character but for the audience because that initial setup of that insult is completely gone. You know, it didn't even affect him because he didn't even, he wasn't even there to feel it. He's not even aware of it. He's, he's not aware that the world, uh, you know, has shifted, that the ground underneath his feet is just slightly off kilter. Uh, and even, uh, I mean, her <laughs> crashing to her death in the Grand Canyon, I bet it's very similar for him. I bet it's mm -hmm. just like a mild inconvenience. But I think it sets the audience on the, course for this is a good thing that this is a bad thing happened but this life is the one that they deserve more it's just just the freedom to to have adventures to just of their own making um is is worth it and i think that's why the film never gets too hung up on you know losing the money that michael madsen brings to them uh, I also like that aspect of it that while it's Susan Strandon's money, they make it clear that, you know, this is her savings that she's worked her waitressing jobs or whatever for. Uh, they have a man that has to bring it to her. <laughs> Another man steals it. So then they go get some more of their own. And it's Gina Davis who I, I love that little bit of uh, growth. I guess this she discovers she's got a knack for crime and she just says <laughs> it and like, <laughs> Isn't that pleasant? Like, that's, you know, I wish I'd discovered this earlier. Like, <laughs> a new skill that she's picked up. Um, yeah, I I love that you highlighted that moment because all this is, I mean, something that should end 
your your life as far as you just suffered this assault and witnessed your friend saving you by having to execute a man in front of you and Shooter McGavin's I don't know, it's fucking Applebee's or something. <laughs> like just chasing a waitress. <laughs> That's exactly where he is. <laughs> that is exactly where he is. 